0: Welcome to A Novel Take with Ken and Ollie. In this episode, we will be reviewing Barack Obama's A Promised Land, a memoir of Obama's rapid ascent to the top of US politics and the trials of his first years in office. In this, we see Obama as the man behind the phenomenon,
1: the reality behind the myth. But how has the chaos of the past four years affected Obama's narrative? A week after the inauguration as president of Obama's right-hand man and vice president, Joe Biden, how convincing is Obama's tale, both about himself and about how the country he served has developed? Um, Kenneth, to start, and this is our first episode, so I'm very happy to have us together discussing this really well written book. Um, I mean, with the past few weeks, the events at the Capitol, the inauguration of Joe Biden, of course, the past four years, Uh, with a very unusual presidency. Um, How convinced were you by Obama's story of America? And uh, how has Obama's image um, changed in these past four years with him grappling with his, I suppose, his immediate legacy in the form of Donald Trump?
0: Well, I think it's an interesting question, Ollie. Um, Certainly here in the UK, and, and I think across the world outside of America, I think the obama years have been kind of idealized in retrospect i think with the contrast of of trump the majority of people kind of harken back to uh the obama years and perhaps see them with rose tinted glasses i mean i think i think in in the book he gives a very interesting record of his time in office i think i think on the whole it's it's accurate it's candid he doesn't shy away from voicing his frustrations um I think as we see throughout the book uh, partisan politics is is a recurring theme yeah. I mean it, it's something that that he deals with throughout but obviously the the last few weeks I mean I feel like this is the most polarized it has become and and that's quite crazy when you think back to four years ago and and uh, Trump versus hillary I feel I, I didn't think it could get more toxic than that yeah. but it seems to have
1: Yeah, I mean, Obama's got a good grasp of history and he's aware of the the history of black activism, uh, of the Republican tradition in America as well. Um, I think he's also aware implicitly of this dark cloud ahead in the form of Donald Trump, but not just Donald Trump. I mean, I think he's also aware that he is, he's sort of part of the problem or he's, he's symptomatic of the way politics was changing. Um, There's a good quote near the start when he's talking about his campaign to be president and He's uh, galvanised this incredible gra- grassroots support, uh, especially in black communities. Um, and he should be elevated by this, and he is. But he says quite revealingly, he says, um, the continuing elevation of me as a symbol ran contrary to my organizer instincts. He was an organiser before he joined Harvard Law School, a community organiser. And he says that sense that change involves we and not me um, was was sort of being undermined by the sort of campaign that he was running uh, but also the way the media and even his own supporters elevated Obama as an individual to this sort of um, this this charismatic status he said it was personally disorienting too to require me to constantly take stock to make sure I wasn't buying into the hype and remind myself of the distance between the airbrushed image and the flawed often uncertain person I was so you know Trump we're always criticising him as being the celebrity politician. But, you know, this is a longer it's story. It's ironic
0: from the, the guy who hosted Apprentice USA.
1: Well, it, yes, but I I think also in politics, the way, the way politics has become more individualised and it's become more uh, celebrity. And Obama was a part of that story as well. It probably started, I think, with Reagan and, the, again, the incredible charisma and humour that he had. Um, and it's been galvanised by the 24-hour news cycle, by the centralization of media. And also it's a symptom of the, really the collapse of local uh, grassroots uh, party activism. You know, the Democrat and Republican parties now are very much uh, very centralized uh, structures. They're sort of outlets for policy positions. They're not really grassroots organizations anymore. And I think Obama was was maybe riding on a on that crest as, as much as he now criticizes it in the context of Trump. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think I think Trump is, uh, sorry, Obama is aware uh, of of his role in, in the way politics has become more personalised, if maybe he thinks of himself as a unifier as well.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely think personality politics is something that we see clearly, not just in America. And I, I agree with you, I think Reagan was, was a turning point there, but it, it seems to be an accelerating trend. Um, not to go off topic, but to return to sort of the issue of of Biden, what I find so fascinating about Biden, and maybe he'll prove me wrong, is that he his personality has never been the focus. It's always just been a, a, trying to um, separate him as the antithesis of Trump. And I feel like in, in this most recent election, we've seen the personality of Trump has been the overwhelming issue. I mean, policy seems to come second to the idea of whether or not you like Trump as a person. Now, I mean... Uh, I think it's an interesting direction. And perhaps if we were in America, we would see more of Biden's personality coming through. But I think one of the challenges for Biden will be to carve out his own legacy, independent of Obama's. Because I I really do think Obama is the the colossus on on whose shoulders he's currently standing.
1: Let's let's talk a bit then about the detail of Obama's time in office. Um, Dreams of my father was uh focused on his identity um when he went to new york to study uh grappling with his his white ancestry on his mother's side his black ancestry, his kenyan ancestry on his on his father's um i feel like a promised land starts with this it goes through his time uh into harvard law uh becoming a practicing and a teaching lawyer and then into politics um what do we think of the first of all the title, the way he's framed this book? So it's a promised land. You you mentioned before this conversation that there's a biblical reference there, which I didn't immediately get either. But I suppose it is now obvious. Um, what what is Obama trying to do with this book? Do you
0: think? I think I think it's a really interesting um, question because to me, I think firstly straight off the bat, this is an incredibly well written book. Um, I really enjoyed Dreams from My Father, but I think this is this is of a completely different calibre. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a beautifully written book, but the, the title does somewhat pu- puzzle me, to be honest, because it, it seems to be far more an exploration of, of Obama as a, as a man and as a president than it is about the country. I mean, obviously, that's reflected and you could argue that he reflects perhaps more than any other modern president a cross section of that, because...
1: That's certainly how he frames himself.
0: Yeah, as, as someone who can bring people together, which is ironic considering the, the divides which have sort of engulfed America since the end of his tenure in office.
1: Yes. Um, I suppose he, th- there is an element of, of crafting in here, um, and we were discussing before, the idea of a promised land. I mean, his 2004 speech, uh, where he talked about the audacity of hope, he um, emblematised himself as a unifier but also as a a man who embodied all the contradictions of America, being uh, both an insider and an outsider uh, living abroad before uh, settling in America, Um, and uh, being, of course, uh, a black person, if not uh, African-American, in the same way that his wife, Michelle Obama, was. He didn't grow up in the the working-class black neighbourhoods of Chicago. His dad was an economist. Um, from Kenya, and, Harvard educated, and Harvard exactly. educated, and he is he is part of the elite. So I suppose this this theme that comes out throughout the book is that in his effort to to create this vision of America that resolves these internal tensions, he's also grappling with himself. Um, he's also I feel like grappling with his own motives uh, when he says uh, that he leaves his community organizing to become a lawyer. He says at this point. Something along the lines of, you know, my motives get a lot murkier, and he admits this openly. So he is—he's constantly aware of this existential crisis. Why am I doing this? Why am I running for office when Michelle Obama, um, his wife, is constantly asking him, "Why do you need more? Why do you need more?" Um, and so he—he he needs to justify himself as a candidate, um, and he—and he says that he justifies himself as a candidate because. You know, if if he can make it to office as a as a black person, he can change millions of black people's lives across America. He, he can be both
0: an advocate for change and also a figurehead, I suppose. Yeah. Like uh, he he can have an, an impact in both mm-hmm. senses. No, I th- I think it's it's a really interesting question of Obama himself. I th- I feel like in Dreams from My Father, he was trying to reconcile more his his kind of um, ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, it's almost like, as you said, he's trying to reconcile whether he is an idealist or whether he is um, a kind of cynical politician, almost yeah. like Can someone working for his these... own advancement.
1: Right. I think he is aware of this. Does he actually represent the people well, he he's claiming to?
0: Well, I think I've got a lot of respect for Obama in this because he... Uh, I would find it extremely disingenuous if he claimed to be completely motivated by idealistic goals and and not be self-serving at all and he he acknowledges several times that there is a there is an ambition there behind him and it it is one of the the motivating forces is God, I can do this i can I can become president. I, I thought that the first couple of hundred pages where he's discussing his meteoric rise and it is incredible like he's a first term senator he's like two yeah. years into his first term and he's suddenly running for president and well, not he, only that he loses that, his
1: first race for the democratic convention as well in 2000, 2000 uh, just before yeah in before, chicago like, he loses by, his by 30 he, points or something yeah so he, he his, his first voyage in isn't successful as you say yeah he, he, he he's got a meteoric rise
0: mm-hmm. no i thought i thought that was really interesting and i think um o- obama uh his relationship with himself is is quite interesting throughout the book, but but what you appreciate as a reader is is how candid he is, and I'm sure, in certain respects, he's he's possibly giving himself slightly more credit than he's due. May, maybe in others, he's being too modest. But on the whole, I I do think you get the impression of someone who's trying to give as far as possible a balanced, objective account, whilst simultaneously acknowledging that that's quite a difficult thing to do because he obviously sees things in one way. And while he can appreciate other points of view, it's difficult to fully, uh, I don't know, do justice to those in an autobiographical work.
1: There are moments of um, real honesty in that regard throughout, uh, even when he is president. He says that he rarely loses sleep as, as a president. And even when Fox News and even Democrat-leaning news outlets are presenting uh, his uh, presidency in quite dire terms, especially at the start. I mean, the the first bit of his policy is dominated by the the Wall Street crash, uh, the recession, and his efforts to sort of hand-wring Republican support for for a relief bill. But he says throughout that he's always optimistic, he rarely loses sleep, but there's occasional moments of regret. And if I could just bring another quote in, I mean... The White House runs the Gershwin Awards for Music every year, and so he goes to this concert that's being organized. Bob Dylan is there, various so other really famous and talented musicians, um, and he says, "I'd marvel at everyone's mastery of their instruments, the generosity they showed toward one another as they blended mind, body, and spirit, and I'd feel a pang of envy at the pure, unambiguous joy of their endeavors, such a contrast to the political path I had chosen," and. David Runciman talks about this in his review of the book in the r b Obama could have been so many things. He was a community organizer. He could have even been an entertainer. His his incredible charisma, his 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 comedic um, abilities at the White House Dinners. His natural eloquence. His singing that, that amazing amazing a grace <laughs> thing. I, I I do repeat that clip so many times. And you, you know, as an American, I don't know. If I well I think I would have voted for him um, but but what defined him as a unifying figure was this ability to actually overcome some of those political divides but he still he still feels as you say that he, he's losing something when he becomes president and he's entering the foray of greasy politics and he is very good at it um, certainly the way he he recounts his efforts and the and the efforts of his team as well Um Axel, uh, and, um, Emmanuel Ram, uh, his, um, his, his chief of, chief of staff, you know, all these other people are, are part of the story as well. The way he, uh, the way he, he wrangles with, um, McConnell especially, uh, who he characterizes very well. He, he sort of, um, the quote, uh, you must be under the mistaken impression that I care. That's the the quote that he at- ascribes to McConnell as basically it,
0: just it's completely amazing. intransigent sort of political operative who's refused yeah, exactly, like yeah. completely refusing to give obama anything
1: yeah so he he, he yeah and he's entering this world and he's, he's full, fully aware of that and as much as he laments it um he he's very much willing to to be pragmatic about it
0: yeah i i think it's uh <laughs> I, th- I think it's very interesting seeing how he deals with the kind of frustrations of politics um there's a, a scene in the the West Wing, actually, that, that's just come to mind where basically, um, President, I won't bore everyone with the, the plot, but basically the President and the First Lady are discussing sort of why all of the policy positions that they try and push forward, all of their initiatives, uh, end up having 15 different amendments to them which water down the substance of the agreement. And, and he describes that politics as being sort of the inexorable like slow process of boring, incredibly small holes. And it's, it's, it's a slow process. It's, it's frustrating. There are often setbacks, but the only way that, um, real substantive change can be achieved is incredibly slowly. And and I feel that you feel Obama's frustration at that throughout the book. And I also feel that towards the end, I mean, the ending of the book deals with, um, the, the famous uh, Navy SEAL raid, um, on bin Laden's compound in Pakistan. And his bidding
1: uh, of
0: Trump. Yeah. <laughs> in the White House in there, yeah. But Obama talks about um, how this was about the only unambiguous success of his pred- presidency. It was the only thing that every single American, all the news outlets, everyone had to agree was a, an objectively good thing. Even things like the Affordable Care Act, which I mean, were huge personal triumphs for Obama, and I think I'd, it's fair to say anywhere outside of the u s would be a fairly uncontroversially positive well, development anywhere in Western Europe, yeah. yeah would would be a positive development was there obviously at any point you could maybe hope for fifty five percent of people to agree with you mm-hmm. the other forty five percent were guaranteed to loathe it because of this increased polarization mm-hmm. in the political climate
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I- to what extent he blames himself for the, um, the way that politics develops after. I mean, Trump's campaign uh, was lots of things. One aspect of it was a criticism of the Affordable Care Act. And a sustained effort to repeal it, although he never fully succeeded. Um, you say that you know his, his killing of bin Laden is his unambiguous success, and I suppose it was. Um, I suppose I do wonder how, how much is he giving himself blame for the way things turned out after him as much as he's giving himself and his team credit for certain things I mean he, he documents the rise of polarisation um, on both sides but he does, he does emphasise the Republicans contribution to that and he reminds me of all these episodes in the news that I remember seeing when I must have been about 10 or 11 Sarah Palin being one of them, who I thought and everyone I knew thought was was just crazy, the hockey mom, uh, who who thought you know said she could see Russia from her her back garden, um, but Sarah Palin was coming to the the fore and the Tea Party uh, opposition to the Affordable Care Act. The way Obama presents it is is really that it's a it's a Republican party and a Fox News thing, um, and that there wasn't. As much of a, or, or, or any discontent in the wider population to his policies was was sort of manufactured and at, at least considerably exacerbated by the way media did. I mean, do you think that is a, a fair representation from Obama's side?
0: Yeah. I, to be honest, I I think I think it is, and I think what we are seeing um, even more starkly in the last few years, where we've gone from sort of. I don't know, MSNBC on one side and Fox News on the other, you now have, it's it's gone further. to So you now have media outlets such as Breitbart News, which are are almost principal sources of, of information for a large chunk of the electorate in America. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting what you say in terms of how much can this be ascribed to Obama, because obviously he wasn't, in a sense, a radical... Candidate as much as I don't think he was as radical as many of his supporters thought he was, and that's a, a theme that recurs throughout the book. As he says, "I'm actually not anti-war. I'm actually not an unambiguous supporter of of like a nationalized health service, for example." Like he does have almost a conservative streak in him, but yeah, it does
1: say that explicitly. One point, doesn't he? He he is a conservative in temperament, or something
0: like that. Yeah, exactly. I think he he is an idealist but he tempers it with a, a conservatism or a pragmatism at times. But it's really interesting because he obviously does tap into a very sort of... He, he does... When he was getting elected, it was very much a, a message of hope and, he, he's, and a message of healthcare, schooling improvements, uh, an end to war... And then when he's confronted with office and the realities of office, he struggles to live up to that legacy. But he has, in that sense, widened it one way, in the same way that Trump widens it the other way a lot more, obviously. Widens the
1: political space.
0: Exactly. So the window of political debate, I mean, if you think in sort of the the 80s and 90s, there were obviously divisions, but I don't think they were, were as extreme, whereas now every single issue is a battleground and there is no space for for a middle ground and, and and one thing he talks about as well is how the sort of centrist, um the, the liberal republicans and the conservative democrats are becoming extinct effectively as a breed and now everyone yeah. just votes uh stringently along party yeah. lines and that has led to the sort of sclerotic uh pace of mm-hmm. of, of US po- politics. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. I think I think he is particularly good at getting into the policy detail and the characters that he's dealing with on a regular basis, McConnell, uh, also Nancy Pelosi, who he's very grateful for as Speaker of, of the House uh, of Representatives, his own staff. Um, what I did like about it, and, and maybe this, this will lead on to a conversation about the, the myth of Obama as it's presented in his own book, um, he also talks about the staff at the White House itself, the, the cooks, the cleaners. Who, there's a, a cleaning guy who does his suits really well and his shoes really well, you know, um, he talks about his family a lot. Um, he, he does want to come across as, as a human being, as well as a, a, a Machiavellian politician, which he, he isn't, but, uh, he, he, you know, he does admit that he employs, he has to do what he can, I suppose, as president. Um, you know, how, um, how convinced are we, I suppose, by his, the, the personal size to his, um, his story. um, I think, I think it's, it is very, um, it is very genuine and there's no reason to disbelieve the way he talks about his family and the way he didn't see his daughters for extended periods, especially when he was a Senator in Chicago, Chicago, going between Chicago and Washington Mm -hmm. on a regular basis before becoming president. And he says that was very hard for him. Um, But then what I find interesting is that he talks about the, the sort of regret in in the, in those in those instances, and the way that uh, you know um, him and Michelle would would not always have time to to, um, to have time together, and Michelle usually was was opposing his his um, his ambitions.
0: Certainly, yeah, office. certainly prior to. But then he still
1: does it, you know. He 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 still, and maybe it's just the luck of the draw. Like he took a risk, and it actually it did pay off. And now they're all for it. But it, it's just a remarkable story, I think, from a personal level. Given where he came from, given he went into politics pretty late and he was entering this world which was, was quite sclerotic, there were people there that had been in politics for decades. And most notably Hillary Clinton, you know, who he ran against, who he knew was more experienced than her, had that personal connection with, with um, his husband, uh, her husband, um, Bill, who had been president previously, um, I suppose it's just, it, it, it's just a reminder again of how much of a remarkable story his is um, and how much how much he's constantly grappling with this myth of Obama and um, the way that he navigates the image that has been created that's now out of his control really um, and the, the doubts and the sort of serious personal sacrifice that he underwent um, to, to, to take office.
0: Yeah, I think he definitely is trying to sort of tell a personal story, and he says that explicitly in the preface, that that's one of his goals. And I do think, compared to other political autobiographies I've read, he does delve more into the family aspect. I don't know whether that's more of an American thing. Uh, for example, when I've read like, the, the autobiographies of Tony Blair, he doesn't go into the details of his family life, his what, domestic what situation as much.
1: politics is he, do you think? Because... David Runciman, in his review, actually thinks he's he's really like a Cameron figure. And I thought that was interesting because obviously, yeah. in some ways, they they really they really are. They were they were very charismatic, both in the centre, and 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 keen to sort of repel more the more extreme elements of their own parties, and also both oversaw the sort of doom of their projects in the form of Brexit and and Trump. I thought it was an interesting comparison.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> um, go against Runciman who who obviously knows far more this about politics. this than me but I mean I would I would I would say he's more like Blair honestly to be honest and in that I think Blair really pioneered the charismatic um personality politician in the UK and I feel like Obama mm. did that to an extent. I mean, you could argue that Bill Clinton was a I mean these things unfortunately they're cyclical, right? So like Bill Clinton was probably a precursor to Blair, who was a precursor to uh, Obama but I I, th- I think he, he's more of a Blairite kind of figure someone who changed not only th- the way that politics was conducted and kind of made it sort of more personable less about the party more about the individual but also he did fundamentally change the direction of his party obviously Blair changed sort of old labor into new labor and with Obama we do see a kind of not a break from traditional democratic politics, but kind of a bold new direction um, with his focus on uh, particularly health care and the Affordable Care Act. Though, I mean, he does mention that the bill uh, also ventured into that and it, it didn't really go very well during his time as president.
1: Let's talk a bit then about the writing itself. Um, I thought that it was beautifully written. Um, in a way that even um, The Art of the Deal wasn't. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, was,
0: uh, that was um, sarcastic, by the way, for anyone, anyone listening. <laughs> no, no, I,
1: I've, got, I've got The Art of the Deal, and I like it a lot, Ken, so don't. Uh, anyway, um, it actually wasn't written by him. Anyway, it was written by Tony Schwartz, who I ended up interviewing for something else. But anyway, um, there's, there's so many great passages, I think, and I wanted to just bring one out. Um, he's in Russia... Uh, he talks to uh, Medvedev, who is the president between 2008 and 2012. He's a brief hiatus from the uh, the
0: <laughs> two terms of Putin and the autocracy of Putin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so he meets Medvedev and uh, and, and Putin uh, in Russia, and they're they're doing some uh, dealing with uh, Iran and Iraq, uh, and coming to a sort of post, trying to come to a sort of post Cold War, uh, mutually beneficial relationship. And um, going back to what I said at the start, he's got this sense of history, um, and he's very well read. He says, um, in the battle for Russia's identity, fear and fatalism usually beat out hope and change. It was an understandable response to a thousand-year history of Mongol invasions, Byzantine intrigues, great famines, pervasive serfdom, unbridled tyranny, countless insurrections, bloody revolutions, crippling wars, years-long sieges, and millions slaughtered, all on a frigid landscape that forgave nothing. So there's moments of real sort of humour and and real gravity um and, and real sort of poeticism um in in the way he writes
0: yeah i I'd, I'd completely agree i think he writes beautifully and and what's actually really nice about it is i feel like almost anyone could write in could write a book that was readable on certain topics but there are about 3 chapters in here about 90 pages odd on healthcare legislation which personally I wouldn't normally find a fascinating topic but it is compelling. I mean I was reading it earlier and and I was genuinely very interested and I have to attribute that to his his prose style. I think that the historical point that you mentioned is quite interesting because he's kind of um he's he's an antidote to what I think is a commonly held perception particularly in in Britain and Europe of Americans as being very insular and not appreciating global history, not appreciating the history of other countries. And Obama actually does seem to be very knowledgeable on on those topics. He's um, a globalist, isn't he? He is. And and I think I think it it's 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 very refreshing to read that actually. Um and yeah, I th- I think I think the prose is excellent. I think the use of imagery throughout is excellent. Uh he often ends chapters uh he, he always has like a very nice clean finish to the chapter it always leaves you with a oh that was yeah. good that was he, he he rounds it out always very nicely
1: i love nuns he says oh <laughs> uh, because nuns uh catholic nuns uh support, come out and support, support Obamacare, yeah. against, against the bishops um and he, and he just says i i love nuns uh and it's like i love New York unions like and, and so you'll, you'll have these bits of constructed dialogue which are uh, are, are very well constructed um, uh, if necessarily they, they provide a sort of selective uh, slightly fictionalized depiction uh, and he does the same with his um, relationship with his uh, political uh, adversaries and his um, his favorites as well um, what do we I mean what do we not like about this book <laughs> i i i I for one think it why is he chosen to make two volumes for a start and start one of them sort of ambiguous somewhere in the primordial past with uh new york and and talking about his um majoring in in sort of humanities and politics uh and then sort of gets into like halfway through his first term
0: what you know, uh, no, no. I think that's I think that's an interesting point. Um, I wouldn't say this is a, a criticism I had, but I did find it a strange kind of timeline to cover. I thought, like, obviously the death of uh, Bin Laden was a seminal moment, but I was surprised that that was the point that he chose to kind of end the book on, so to speak. Um, in terms of criticism of the book, to be honest, I really am struggling to find any. Uh, I think I think it suffers from what all autobi. all all autobiographies suffer from where you have to kind of take everything you read with a a tiny pinch of salt because i mean both in the sense that did events transpire as he describes them and i'd like to think that on the whole they did but they've possibly been spin spun in a certain way or there might be slight omissions here and there but also um i mean I, i think i mentioned this when we were discussing before we started recording but um Obama always seems to get the last word in. He always seems to get yeah. the laugh. He's always the guy coming out with the witty comments. And I mean, I know I'm prone to that in my personal life. I often remember the funny thing that I said weeks later whereas I won't necessarily remember what mm. somebody else said. But I, I I I was conscious of that throughout the book as I was like, "Oh god, he is extremely witty in this. It seems like every conversation he knew exactly the perfect like witticism to to, to say."
1: Yeah, and I think there is this um there's this very uh, and it's a, it's a characteristic of the american liberal left it's this onward march of progress and this it it's a point i alluded to before it's this idea that obama embodies this progress and he's going to keep marching on and it's a valiant struggle against the forces of uh, of gun-toting republicans and fox news and there's a sense that as every obstacle broke down it was all sort of part of this inexorable rise and this is maybe the, just the central tension in the book it is this continuing grappling between the myth of obama uh sort of liberal internationalist um uh progressivist in in the sort of widest sense he, he believes in progress and the onward march progress and he's a he's in that sense a disciple of, of, of Luther King's long arc of ju- justice idea. Um, and the, the the sort of, the terms of fortune that, that perhaps he's not bringing up so much, and maybe the, and this this may be something he engages with in volume two, never fully grappling with the fact that, you know, a term after this this the, the content of this book, something really quite contradictory is going to happen.
0: And this is what I was just going to say, is that I think that perhaps the reason why he did choose the death of bin Laden is possibly because that is the apex of his time as president. And from thereafter, it kind of is the downward slope. It's just further retrenchment. It's a win over Romney, yes, um, and, and, and quite a definitive win. But as you say other forces are starting to make themselves known. And I do think in the second volume, we'll probably see a, a quite darker record. And I'm interested especially to see how that ends and, and what his thoughts are. Um, do we know if he's still writing it? Or is he... For volume two? Yeah, do we know if he's finished it or is he still in progress? I, I don't
1: know that. I think, I think he'll still be in the progress. I think the events of this year... Yeah. Well, uh, will shape it in interesting ways. Um, maybe to wrap up, then, maybe it's worth coming back to the moment that this has been published. This was published before the Capitol Hill insurrection, protest, whatever you want to call Riot it. Riot thing. And, uh, but after um, Biden's win, um, I mean, Trump wouldn't have been capable of writing this, I don't think. Uh, it's safe to say. Probably not Biden either. And I think the inauguration day was, was, was perhaps, uh, for listeners of this podcast, uh, all of you out there, um, a moment of, of relief, but um, not a moment of huge excitement, I, I wouldn't say, not, not me personally, certainly from the perspective of Biden's rhetoric, he's, he's not the, the orator that Obama was, he's not the writer, he has got a, a, you know, an enthusiasm for poetry, especially Irish poetry. But he's, he's no Obama. And actually, Biden doesn't come up too much in this. Have you noticed?
0: Yeah, no, I was, I was going to he, say that.
1: He comes. I read, I remember about twice, there's two instances and he, he does have a picture of him as well when they're in the cavalcade, but he doesn't come up in, in, in this story.
0: I mean, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be interesting, firstly, to see how much Biden features in the second one and whether he's written into it more in retrospect than he would have if he hadn't been the next president.
1: Perhaps their bromance emerges in the second term.
0: Yeah, well, the presidential medieval of freedom and, and all of, of course, that. I remember being a,
1: a, a meme, again, part of the, the myth of Obama, this this sort of adorable relationship, as you're saying.
0: But I think, um, I do think Biden has a challenge. I mean, he is almost antithetical to Obama in the sense that he is a career politician. He has been a senator since, what, he was in his 30s. He's still around. He's run for president three times now. Uh, he's finally got it. He is the complete opposite of Obama with his meteoric rise and his charisma. I agree. Assistance, I... yeah. Yeah. Ex- it, exactly. Yeah.
1: It also perhaps makes him a a Capitol Hill man in a way that Obama wasn't to his benefit.
0: Yeah. No, I'd agree with that as well. I think, um, and I also think you're you're right in saying that. I think on the left. Um, Relief was probably the principal emotion, rather than enthusiasm or excitement. I think people were excited for a kind of return to stability, normality, a non-Trumpian politics, uh, not that we're necessarily going to be away from that for too long. I think the next couple of years will be very interesting.
1: Yeah, but I think I think to end, it, it is worth saying again, the extent to which... Obama's part of a long continuum that's probably at least 40 years in the making, which is the, the centralization of of politics and the image of politics, the personalization of the presidential campaign and the presidential office, um, and the polarisation of society and, and the president's role in that as often a key arbiter of things like Supreme Court nominations and... Um, and uh, as a moral force as well, which we've seen the importance of, especially in the past four years. Um, so I, I think we've got a lot to still work out. And I think that the next few months will be absolutely crucial. And once America and the world comes out of the pandemic and things start to grow, um, I mean, it is worth saying that Biden has got a very different hand that's been dealt with at the start of his presidency. Instead of, coming into a recession he he will be coming out of one hopefully touchwood in the next six (sighs) six months (laughs) um if that's the case he he could have a good run and he's also got uh well not a stronger hand in the in the the house um as obama did in his first term um and he's got greater polarization but but i'll have to see Yeah.
0: yeah i think it's certainly going to be an interesting time and i'm very excited to read the second volume of this when it comes out to see what those I suppose last five years or so were like um, in the Obama White House and yeah I suppose how much credit or blame Barack ascribes to himself if I can if I can use first names um, for both the phenomena of Trump and then also the kind of return to form that we presumably. We'll see with Biden. Thanks
1: so much for listening. This has been a novel take with Ken and Ollie. I hope you can be back with us to hear our next podcast on another work of nonfiction in the coming weeks. Thanks very much.